<laughs> okay, so June 2nd, I turned 60. I turned 60. Six decades. I've been alive for six decades. That can't be right. That cannot be right. I, I, I can't be that old. It's, it's impossible. I, I, my brain just does not receive that. Uh, is this like, okay, all, all you other 60-year-olds, is this normal? Like, you, you don't see yourself as 60? Is that, is that part of the course? Do I have it where you, so you, you, your brain says do it, and then your body says no way? Or it makes you pay for it? Because I, 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 I totally don't see myself as 60. I, 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 maybe 38, maybe, but... And so I see stuff and I say, oh, I want to do that. And then the body says, nope, <laughs> no longer. It's like, uh, so you got to check that one off. Anyways, the train ride gets faster and faster on our way to glory. Hallelujah. So it maybe it's because I'm older, but it, it seems to me that movies are getting dumber and dumber. Uh, is, it, it, I don't know if that's, dumber and, dumb and Dumber is one of the dumb movies. Shelly and I used to go to movies all the time and th- we just go less and less. Um, because, some, I mean, for a lot of them are just trash and garbage, raunch. But a lot of them are just stupid. Really dumb. You go there and like, who wrote that plot? Uh, I could have done better. Why don't you ask me? I'll pay me. I'll, I'll put it together. I mean, I, and I hate it when you've wasted $10 and two hours of your life you're never going to get back. And put in 500 calories worth of popcorn that you are going to never get rid of. And uh, for nothing. You walk out like, that was really, really dumb. But once in a while, once in a while, despite themselves, Hollywood gets it right. And, and they, they make a point that uh, is kind of insightful. So we thought for a series, we're starting a new series this morning, and, and we thought it would be fun in the summer to do a series based on movies, insights that you get from the movies. It's not all trash and stupidity, though most of it is, but, uh, but, but sometimes there's, there's good insight. So we're going to take these movie clips and kind of use them as a launching pad to talk about stuff that we think is, is really, really important. Uh, so we're titling this series Moving Pictures. Uh, this is what they used to call the movies back when they first started. Uh, I guess the first one was like in the end of the uh, 18th century or 1800s. Um, and imagine the surprise when, if, if you've never saw a picture move, and all of a sudden they find a way to, to make the, the, you know, the, by going frame to frame, the, the picture moves, it comes to life. It must have been kind of like what we experience when we see someone like Michael Jackson in a hologram. Like, it's a new technology. It's like, whoa! And so they called them moving pictures. You want to go see the moving pictures? Um, and and I, I never noticed this until I started working on the sermon. Maybe I'm just extraordinarily dull. But... I never noticed that the word movies has the word move in it. Did you, did, you, did you notice that? I just, movies are movies. But why are they called movies? Well, movies was an abbreviated form of moving picture. So when you say you're going to the movies, you're really saying, I'm going to the moving things. My sermons are so full of insight. It's just, it's so, just brilliant. So moving pictures. That's what they're... Uh, and so um, this morning, I'm going to talk on a topic which if you've been here for any length of time, like a week... You'll know this is my, one of my favorite topics. I want to talk about free will and fatalism and determinism, those sorts of things. Um, and we're titling this message, Fatal Illusion, uh, and, which is one of the cleverest titles I've ever come up with for this reason. Uh, fatal, um, well, first of all, I want to argue that fatalism, the belief in fatalism is an illusion. Okay, fatalism is an illusion, but it's a fatal illusion because it's a deadly illusion. And then there's something else I noticed for the first time this week as I'm putting this message together, but maybe I'm just extraordinarily dull. But the word fatal has got fate in it. Did you notice that? 
fatalism has got fate in it. And this shows you how pervasive fatalism is. That we, we say something has a, fa like a, fatal, a fatal disease uh, or a fatal car crash uh, or a fatal decision or a fatal attraction. Um, and, and it's because it leads to death. Something's fatal if it leads to death. And the reason it's called fatal, it, that word fate is in it, because the common belief has been that the time where you're going to die has been fated. And so this is a disease that's going to lead to your fate, or the car is that leads to your fate. It's fatal. It's fated. So faithful, faithful illusion. Uh, illusions that are faithful and that are fated. And the fated part is the illusory part. Okay, enough of the explanation. I just wanted to show you how clever my title was. That's all. Okay, so... We're going to be talking about uh, uh, free will and determinism. Here's a verse just to kind of put in your cranium and, and chew on it as we're, uh, let it marinate as we're going through this. I'll come back to it. Uh, it says, I have set before you, the Lord says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You've got a choice to make here. Apparently it's up to you to decide it. Uh, God wants us to choose life, but it's, we can choose death if that's what we want to choose. So the movie clip that I want to kind of unpack here a little bit uh, comes from this just theological, insightful movie called Bruce Almighty. Uh, so let's watch, let's watch. Okay, so Bruce has been feeling beat up by God. Uh, his life's going real miserable, and he's blaming God for everything. And then we, we pick it up here. How do you get someone to love you without affecting free will? You can't. And love is the kind of thing that's got to be chosen. It's got to be freely chosen. Can't be pre-programmed. Can't be coerced. So even God, God can do a lot of things. If you're Bruce Almighty, you can do a lot of things. Uh, God can speak the world into existence. Holds the world in existence by his mere word. And God can uh, cause the sun to stand still in the middle of the sky and part the Red Sea. But God can't make a free agent love him. God can heal the blind and make the lame walk and rise, raise the dead, but God can't make a person love him or love anyone else. God can multiply loaves and fishes and feed multitudes and change water into wine and lemonade into scotch and make a Minnesota winter enjoyable, but God can't make a free agent love him. Love's the kind of thing that's got to be chosen. And so, since love was the point of everything, God created this world out of love for the purpose of inviting others in on his love. God created a cosmos that is populated with free agents, angelic free agents and human free agents. We have the power of choice. And that means we, we, it's up to us. We can decide to go this way or that way. God sets before us life and death. Uh, he wants us to choose life, encourages us to choose life, influences us to choose life, but we can choose death. We have the power to go this way to this extent and that way to that extent. But that means that God's got to let us go that way, the wrong way, if that's what we choose. If God were to revoke our ability to go that way just because he doesn't like it, then clearly he didn't give us the ability to go this way or that way. By definition, you can't control a free agent. If God is going to make us free, then that means he's going to have a world where he's not guaranteed to get everything he wants. In fact, it's pretty sure that he won't. He creates a world in which agents can go their own way and do their own thing and create a lot of havoc. And so there's actually a world, he creates a world where the word can't can be applied to God. It's not because God lacks the power. He's got the power. Yeah, he's got the power. But, but uh, it's because it, it's a contradiction. It's like God can't make a married bachelor. God can't uh, uh, make two adjacent mountains without an intervening valley, a round triangle. And God can't make an agent 
love him. God can't coerce a free agent. And neither can human beings. You, can't, you can never make a person love you. Uh, if you have a gun, you can make them do anything. Right? On, on the threat of killing them, you can make them do anything. But you can't make them love you. You can make them say, I love you, and pretend like they love you because they're afraid you're going to shoot them if, if, if they don't. But you can't make them love you. Love's not the kind of thing that can, can be coerced. Power, you can't power your way into it. And, and, um, and so this is the kind of world God created. Now, here's why this is such an important topic. It's because accepting that we are responsible agents, that we have choice, that we can make a difference, uh, that's proven very hard for human beings to accept. There has been a tendency towards fatalism, to believe in fatalism throughout history, all over the place, to believe that really, even though it seems like we've got some say-so in what comes to pass, uh, we really don't. Everything is just faded. Fatalism is the belief that, that uh, whatever's going to be is going to be. And there's nothing you can do about it. Fatalism is the kind of case sera sera mindset. Whatever will be, will be. Um, and and we, we just can't influence otherwise. The, the view of, of fatalism is that history unfolds kind of like a bunch of dominoes. And you set up a bunch of dominoes. And once you push that first domino, everything just kind of follows the pattern. The, the whole thing has been prescripted. You get the thing going, and it's all, the rest is all faded. And there's no way to change it. And so the belief is that everything you are, and everything you think, everything you feel right this moment, is, is, is the result of who you were in the previous moment, which was the result of who you were in the previous moment, in the previous moment, and that goes all the way back to the beginning of time. It's all just one long deterministic thing. In fact, the belief is that if you could have known all of the relevant variables of the first cause... The Big Bang, right? If you could have known all of the relevant variables, you could predict every single thing that's going to happen throughout all of history. It, it, given that initial set of conditions, whatever they were, once the Big Bang happens, if you would have known all that, you could predict that I would be up here right this moment saying these exact words to you, wearing these exact clothes, and you'd be there sitting next to that exact person, wearing your exact clothes, having the thoughts and feelings that you're having. It all would be totally predictable. And so it is for every molecule uh, going throughout history. It's all absolutely determined. And there's nothing you can do to outrun that, like, like, or to try to get out of that. It, it feels like we're free, but every time you make a free decision, that's, that's really an illusion. Uh, it, that, that was totally determined. And so you try to do crazy things that, that maybe would upset the dominoes. Like, hey, go like this. I can do this. You didn't see that coming. How about this? Walk, walk, walk. You try anything. But even that, walk, 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 that was determined. God would say, yeah, that's what I planned. I planned on you to do that. I planned on you trying to out, out, outsmart my, my deterministic system. Everything has been faded. Now, this view has been known throughout most cultures, have been to some degree influenced by this view. You go back to ancient Greece, uh, most of them were determinists. Thought the future is all faded. You can't alter it one iota. Throughout the ancient Near East, where Israel was birthed, um, they had a strong tendency towards determinism. Uh, the gods had a little bit of freedom, but human beings don't. We were just sort of their subjects. And that view kind of influences the Old Testament to some degree. Uh, the, the Nordic uh, tribes, the Vikings, uh, they, they were thorough determinists. Uh, you read their writings, fate plays a huge role in all of them. Uh, most African tribes throughout history have been uh, fatalistic. Don't believe in the, the reality of free will. Islam is a, a, a fatalistic religion. Uh, at least traditionally it is. If you go back to the, to the main fundamental uh, groupings of, of Islam, they're, they're, they're fatalists. They think that Allah determines everything. 
And the reason is because if you read the Quran, in the Quran, Allah does determine everything. Whatever happens, Allah determined it. Good or bad, Allah determined it. In fact, in, in, uh, uh, Muslims have a saying, they, they say quite a bit, usually in the face of, of unfortunate circumstances, they'll say, uh, Inshallah, Inshallah. This means Allah willed it. Inshallah, Allah willed it. Couldn't be otherwise. A couple of years ago, I was in an airport. And I was buying some gum and stuff, and the lady who was checking me out was wearing this hajib. I assume she was Muslim. And at one point, she turned and she knocked over all these pencils, and they went rolling everywhere. And she went, "Inshallah." So I said, "Are you really going to pin that on Allah? Come on, that was your own clumsiness. Don't blame Allah for that." And she was like stunned that a heathen would know what you know "Inshallah" meant. meant. But then when she got what I was saying, she goes, "No, no, 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 Inshallah. This was the will of of of, of Allah." Now, why Allah would will for all these pencils to be spilled over, who knows? But that's the mystery of, of, of God's will. Um, so the, it, it, it's everywhere. Even in America, as much as we love freedom, you see the influence of this fatalism and the way we talk about things. Not just in the church, but outside the church as well. Oprah Winfrey is always saying, there's a reason for everything. You know, nothing happens by accident. Uh, if something doesn't go right, we say, well, well, it wasn't meant to be. Even though it might have been the, the, a human screw-up, we say, well, it wasn't meant to be. Or it must have been their time when someone dies. It must have been their time. It was faded. They had that fatal disease, and so it led to their time. So this, this influence is everywhere. It sometimes leads to some twisted logic. Last Saturday, I was watching this, this uh, in the middle of the afternoon, eating lunch, and I just turned on the television, and I was watching this documentary about these criminals in prison. And uh, this one guy had murdered three people. And he's being interviewed, and in the course of the interview, he says, it, it, it was their time to go. And, and the interviewer says, well, you, you talk about it like it was pre-settled or something. And he goes, oh, it was. They, they had their uh, appointment with destiny. And she said, well, you're the one who decided when they died and, and by killing them. And he goes, well, that also, that was part of my destiny. Uh, and this is how it was meant to be. And inshallah. He didn't say that, but that's the, the, the kind of thinking there. Now, that's a real convenient way of thinking, isn't it? Because you're not, see, if it's all faded... Then, then really, the, the, it's, nothing hangs in the balance on what you decide, because what you decide is just been what's been faded. Uh, it, really, you don't have any responsibility for anything if everything you do has been faded. If, if there's no room for change, well, then really there's no responsibility. Now, a lot of fatalists will insist that we are responsible and, and all that, but it's really hard to see how that fits into a system. If you can't make a difference, then how are you responsible for anything? And so it kind of takes the pressure off. And this is, I think, one of the selling points of fatalism. It's like, you can just resign yourself to things. You don't have to sweat anything because nothing makes, you can't make a difference anyways. For a couple of years in, 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 uh, in seminary, I was uh, a fatalist. I was Calvinist, and Calvinists believe that everything is, is predestined. And I believe that view because there are certain passages of Scripture that I couldn't interpret in a different way. I have obviously since learned how to interpret them in different ways, found better interpretations. But at the time, I didn't have any better interpretations. Which, by the way, if you are, I have a lot of questions about certain verses as it pertains to predestination or free will. If you go to my website, it's just renew.org with a K, R-E-K-N-E-W.org. I have a whole section there where I take all the passages that are usually appealed to uh, to support determinism, and I, I give you an, an alternative uh, interpretation. Okay? End of advertisement. So this is what I believe. And I didn't like it. I, I didn't, it didn't sit well with me. I didn't like it, but I felt I had to believe it. But the one upside, and it was, it was a strong upside, was it, it did give you kind of a sense of relief. Like, it was like, well... 
I don't know, especially for a person who tends to t- assume too much responsibility, that, to not have any responsibility felt kind of good. And so there was this kind of peace. I'm chilling. Inshallah. Can't do anything about anything anyways. Despite that peace, I think this is a fatal illusion. In fact, I would, I'll say this. I think this has been the most influential deception uh, that human beings have believed. And it's just an, a ton of destructive stuff. It, it sucks life out of people. Um, and, and I think it's a sign that we're under the influence of the principalities and powers. It's like a disease. Fatalism is, I think, a disease. And the, the, the worst disease that human beings have been afflicted with. And I don't think it makes any difference whether you're an Islamic fatalist or a Christian fatalist or a, a Stoic fatalist. If you believe in fate, which just has massive implications for your life and how you live. So I'm, I'm going to here bring out two implications, two of what I think are fatal implications of fatalism, all right? The first one is that if you're a fatalist, it's really hard to see how you can genuinely believe that God is all good and all loving. Uh, fatalism tends to undermine the beauty of our picture of God. And if you've been here for any length of time, like two weeks, you know how important I think your picture of God is. It's the most important fact of your life. Because your picture of God determines your relationship with God and the passion that you have for God and the quality of your life. Fatalism just undermines this. Think about it. If, if, if you hold to a, a Christian version of fatalism, you have to believe that everything that happens is reflective of God's will. The ultimate explanation for why anything is the way it is is because God willed it. So a couple nights ago in London, they had another, yet, yet another terrorist attack and seven people were killed and dozens of others were injured. That was all according to God's plan. And the week before that, up in Kabul and Afghanistan, a bomb went off and killed 90 people and maimed 400 others. And a lot of those were little kids, but that was exactly as God planned. God willed that, inshallah. And, 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 and so it is, there's a kid, maybe some of you remember this, a uh, nine-year-old, eight or nine-year-old, several weeks ago, or several years ago, swimming in some pond in Stillwater, and there's this amoeba I'd never heard of before, but this amoeba goes into your ear and can burrow in and get to your brain, and then starts eating your brain. And, and there's no cure for it. And this kid gradually starts to go crazy as this parasite just devours little parts of his brain, and then finally dies. It's a nightmare for the parents, it's a nightmare for the kids. All exactly as God planned it to go. That little, that little parasite was eating at the right pace. Not too fast, not too slow. All of that was predestined, faded from before the time this kid ever was born, before the world began. And so it is for the millions and millions of kids who've been kidnapped and tortured and raped, murdered. Every one of them was exactly as God designed it to go. And so it is for everyone who's ever starved to death or had to watch their kids starve to death because of a famine. It's all according to God's plan. And so it is for every child that's ever got a a, a skin-devouring parasite or an intestinal parasite or a hookworm or a hundred other things that kids in third world countries regularly get that torment them and kill them. All of them are according to God's design. It was predestined from the foundation of the world that they would be suffering like this. And so for everyone who's died of cancer or Parkinson's, suffered under Parkinson's disease or leukemia or Lou Gehrig's disease or muscular dystrophy or muscular sclerosis or, or HIV or Alzheimer's or you name it, all of that is just God's tools bringing about his design. All this is reflective of God's will. There's a divine yes to every one of these atrocities. And so for, so, so for all slavery, 
It was, it was God's idea. Slavery was God's idea. He thought it'd be good to put in a 400-year period of time where African uh, were enslaved by white folks here in America. That's God's idea. So if, for every person who's ever been killed for racist reasons or been killed in any war or maimed in any war or all the millions of women who've been raped in war, all of them, every one of them is part of God's great design. The Holocaust was ultimately God's idea. Ten million people being uh, killed, incinerated there. One of one million being children. All that was just God's idea. And everything that Satan's ever done, everything that every sick leader has ever done, everything that every demented, twisted, sadistic pervert has ever done, all the pain and the misery inflicted, the nightmares that have been inflicted on people, all of it's God's idea, as are the tornadoes that kill people and the mudslides that bury people alive and the hurricanes, the volcanoes, all of that. It's part of the great plan. And, and, and for the Christian fatalists, most of them, the vast majority, believe in a hell that goes on forever and ever and ever. And if they're consistent, they have to say that even that has all been predetermined. It's a, all according to God's design. Before a person's ever born, it's decided that they'll go to heaven or hell. They're fated, and that means to suffer endlessly, hopelessly, without any purpose other than to suffer, because there's no redemption here, nothing that they're trying to learn or, or be taught. No, this is just to glorify God. They're created to suffer eternally in hell. Folks, see, I, I can fear a God like that, because if a God like that exists, if that's the real God, we live in a Kafkaesque universe. And, and there's, I, I can fear a God like that. But can you genuinely love a God who does that? Could have could predestined anything, could have made the world anything, and he chose to, to create this kind of a world. What does that say about God? How, how can you genuinely say that God is altogether lovely and beautiful and good when this is what he wills? He wills a lot of stuff that is not beautiful and, 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 and good. Um, how do you genuinely say, I love you, God? I, I, fear can make you say that, because if you don't say it, maybe you're not one of God's chosen people. So I see why people could say that you're good and lovely, beautiful, and I love you. Because if you don't, well, you see, he's got the gun. He's holding it to your head. So you better say it. But can you genuinely mean it? How, how can you genuinely mean it when, for all you know, your precious little newborn baby has been created for the purpose of going to an unending, tormented hell? Or your spouse, or any loved one in your life. They may be there just for the purpose. And you have to say, God, you're altogether beautiful. All the more so for doing that. See, what, what you're doing is trying to save your own skin. And I don't blame you. It's a terrifying universe. But you're just saying, okay, I'm cool with you taking my kid and torturing them forever. And I'll still say I love you. Just don't do it to me. That's what's going on. I feel sorry for people caught in the system because they, they have no other options. But see, if, if, this, if you're inclined towards this position, uh, I'd like to inter introduce you to a God that you really can love. Because <laughs> he really is lovely. Hey, he doesn't threaten you to, say, to have you say that. I'd like to introduce you to the God who's revealed, totally revealed in Jesus Christ, especially on the cross of Jesus Christ, a God who's, who, who reflects his character and what he's willing to sacrifice for you. This is a God who, this God doesn't ordain death. He dies to defeat death. And he, he doesn't ordain evil. He dies to defeat evil. He doesn't ordain sin. He dies, he becomes a human and dies in order to eradicate all sin that all could come under his love. This is a God who gives his life for everyone because he wants everyone to come to repentance and everyone to come into his redemption and everyone to be reconciled to him and everyone to share in his eternal kingdom forever and ever and ever. This is a God who's altogether lovely. There's no hint of, of cruelty in him, no hint of darkness, no hint of malice in him. He's good all the time and all the time he's good. And when he says he's good, he really means he's good because he's good. He's good. He's lovely. He's beautiful. He's altogether light and in him there's no shadow of darkness. 
This is a God who's revealed in Jesus Christ. God doesn't cause the sin and the evil and the suffering of this world. He hates the sin and the evil and suffering of this world. Well, see, that is the price. The possibility of that happening is the price you pay if you want a world that's capable of love. It goes with the territory. And so as we look at this world and see the catastrophes and the, and the nightmare and the suffering and all the terrible stuff, we've just got to know that that does not reflect on God's will. If you're a fatalist, it can't help but reflect on God's will. But, but we know that that's not God's will. That's what God is against. Everything that in, this, in this world, in, in your life, in creation, that does not reflect the character of God revealed on the cross is the result of wills other than God. And so when you see ugliness and terrible stuff, that should remind us about, that reflects something on us and something on, on the rebel angels. It reflects on creatures who are fallen, but it does not reflect on the character of God. What reflects on the character of God? If you want to know what God's character is like, you look to one source and one source only, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is exactly what God is like down to his very essence. Amen? Log that in. And he is beautiful. So the first implication is that it undermines our, 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 our picture of God, the beauty of our picture of God. The second fatal implication is that it undermines our humanity. It dehumanizes us. It, it, believing that everything's faded can give you a sense of peace, of resignation, because you can't do anything about anything and nothing's up to you, so you just sort of resign yourself to it. But that peace comes at a huge price. Because see, if God determines everything, it means you determine nothing. Uh, you influence nothing. You contribute nothing. You're 100% product. You don't produce. Uh, that means then that your life has no significance. Now, it looks like your life has significance. It looks like you mean something to people. But then again, it looks like you're making choices. But you're not. You're, you are a novel in God's story. You're like a fictional character. Everything that you do, everything you think, everything you feel is him, him writing it into you. You're just carrying out a script. So your life ends up being insignificant. You contribute nothing. You bring nothing to the table. That's some total of our life. Um, I submit to you, when I, read, when I read my Bible, my Bible says something very different about human beings. Um, we are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of the Creator. Now, how can we be made in the image of the creator if we never create anything? If there's no creativity, if we don't add anything, we don't contribute anything. God's not a zero. So how can people who are zero be in the image of God? The fact that we're in his image. See, we don't create from nothing like he does, but we create every decision you make. Is, is it, you're transcending the line of causation that led up to you. You're not just all determined by other things. You're bringing something new. You're creating a fact. We're creative. There's, there's, a, there's a spontaneity in us and, and a beauty in us. And yes, it's tainted by sin, and we couldn't do this without God's grace. But with God's grace, this is what we're supposed to do. We're made in this image. We've got significance. In the, in the Bible, he gives us a domain of responsibility. Take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. It really is up to us to do that. And we've got choices to make in this whole thing. That's what that whole deal about Adam and Eve and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It's, it's really up to us. And, and, and so... Our life is significant because we are not programmed to go one way or the other. We make choices, and the choices impact things. Our life is not a pro forma activity. This is the real thing. This is why throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, we're given choices. I gave you one example. I could have given you a thousand. I said before your life and death, choose life, but you're free to choose death if that's what you want. This, this is why, folks, in the Bible, sin and evil... The origin of that is never in God. It's in us and in fallen angels. 
And that's the way the Bible talks about it. One example, 1 Kings says that Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon turned away from God. God didn't turn away from him. And God didn't make Solomon turn away from him. This was Solomon's decision. And it was evil precisely because it went against God's will. To be a free agent means that we have the ability to say no to God. Which means that God doesn't always get his way. Luke chapter 7, verse 30. I'll give you another example. It says that the Pharisees, by refusing to be baptized by John the Baptist, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. God had a purpose for them. And guess what? The purpose was good. God loved these folks. He, had, he wanted them to, to be baptized by John and start, and start going down this road where they'd be coming to the influence of Jesus and all of that. That was his purpose for them. But he's not going to coerce anybody. He can't coerce free agents. And so he influences as much as he can, but now he's got to let them be. And they choose to reject God's purpose for themselves. That itself proves, does it not, that God's purposes are not determining everything. If God's purposes were determining everything, then God, God, it would, be, God would on purpose be purposing that they would reject his purpose. And that's way too many purposes to have in a sentence to be true. <laughs> no, really, they, they wouldn't be rejecting his purpose when they reject his purpose because it was his purpose to, for them to reject his purpose. Ugh, forget about it. It's, uh, we, we, we are able to do that. Another case, Isaiah ch uh, chapter 30, it says this, uh, O rebellious children uh, of Israel, it says the Lord, who carry out a plan, but it's not mine. Who make an alliance, but against my will. Adding sin to sin. To be a free agent means you can make your own plans, you can do your own thing, and you can go your own way. And it has nothing to do with God, which is exactly why it's sin. Sin it happens because it's contrary to the will of God. So how can God's will include sin? <laughs> if God's will includes sin, it wouldn't be sin. It's sin precisely because you're going against God's will. And God is saying, well, you bring your plans under my plans, and, and, and now we can start seeing how my will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means that God is not always going to get his way. In fact, often he doesn't get his way, which is what you find throughout the Bible. His heart can break. He gets grieved. He gets frustrated. We learn this from the one who is the perfect expression of, of, of God's image. He's exactly what God is like all the way down. Uh, Jesus tells us this. He's talking about this, this judgment coming on Jerusalem. I talked about it last week. And, and here's what he says. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and or but you were not willing this is the heart of God. This is exactly what God is like. Behind every judgment, as I said last week, we should, be, we should envision a grieving God. This is not God's will. But uh, um, it's what happens because people reject God's will. The heart of God is saying, I wanted to protect you. I, what I want for you is blessing. What I want for you is safety. But you weren't willing. You weren't willing. And you've got a will of your own. And I can't coerce you to do differently. And so you're rejecting me. And because of that, now this judgment's going to come on you. The Romans are going to have their way with you. And it breaks the heart of God. In a world where there's a free will, God doesn't always get his way. So, folks, it comes down to this. You are in the image of God, which means you, God has given you, he's dignified your life with a degree of say-so. You get to have say in what comes to pass. You have a domain of responsibility that you can make a difference in, and you genuinely make a difference there, for better or for worse. And, and God's given you, then, this ability to make a choice. And the choices have implications for you and for, for, for others. And that's your domain of responsibility. It's the awesomeness of our responsibility, but it's also the significance of our life. 
God is not a control freak. He's not a tyrant. He, 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 he doesn't want to monopolize over everything. Uh, he doesn't want to unilaterally be carrying everything out. He's a relational God, and he wants relationships, and he wants to do things out of relationships. And relationships mean that the, the, the parties are mutually influential. We, we impact one another. We, we, a relationship is authentic to the degree that the parties in the relationship each have say-so. If you're in a relationship where you don't have any say-so, if you're in a relationship where the other person is, is controlling and monopolizing you, it's not a relationship. It's a monopoly. Get out of it. That's not a relationship. God doesn't want a, a puppet bride. He wants a bride with life, a bride with say-so, a bride with sass, a bride with authority, a bride who's going to reign with him on the throne. And so he enters this relationship, and he really does empower us with stuff. That's why the Bible, Paul, Paul refers to us as, as, as God's co-partners. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, or 1 Corinthians 3, he says, We are the co-workers uh, in God's service, synagogues. He says again in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, I, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, let that grace do some stuff in your life. Let it change you. Don't just... Leave it there. Now, the, the word synergos comes from the prefix syn, which means with or alongside of, and ergos, which means to expend energy. We get the word energy from ergos, or, or to, to work alongside of. There's been a whole history of theological debate about whether we should be synergists or monergists. Synergists are those who believe that human beings cooperate with God and bring about some stuff. Monergists, mono means one, so it's one energy. It means that God's energy does everything, determines everything. Fatalists are the monergists. And synergists are those who think otherwise. Does not, the, these two verses, do, do they not? Re, end of discussion. It says we are synergos. We're synergos. We're partners with God. We bring something to the table. We are significant. You count. You've got to vote in this thing. God wants to partner with you, not trample on you, not control you, not manipulate you. He wants to partner with you. And together you're being about his will on earth as it is in heaven. See, God won't control us. He can't control us, not if he's given us freedom, but he's always influencing. His spirit is influencing, trying to lead us and guide us and teach us and, and, and move us so that we bring our say-so under his say-so. Not that he wants to control every decision we make. What parent would want that for your kids? God's given you a mind. You, some things you're just supposed to think about. I don't think you need to ask him what color socks you should wear or what kind of cereal you should get or, or what kind of back scratcher works best. Figure that out on your own. But be open to him always interceding and leading and guiding because things really do depend on what we say yes to or what we don't say yes to. Our lives make a difference. Things are in the balance here. I, I shared this a couple years ago, but it's, a, it's worth repeating. There's this guy, one example of this, um, at, at the church and he's trying to Walk in the Spirit and listen to the Spirit. One day he's watching TV in the afternoon, and all of a sudden he gets a picture of this guy he knew in high school. Used to be buddies, but they kind of just sort of floated apart. And, and, and um, he has a sense that he's supposed to call this guy randomly. So he does. Turns out this guy was planning on committing suicide that night. Uh, he had, it was an alcoholic, had drunk himself out of a marriage and out of a job and out of all of his friends, and now he's at the end, he was going to commit suicide. He gets a random call, hasn't talked to this guy for 10 years, and because of that, uh, a relationship developed, this guy ends up coming to Christ, he ends up getting sober and clean, and now he's walking with God. Amen. See, that's God, that, that is God's will coming to, coming to pass on earth as it is in heaven, because somebody was willing to say yes to it. For all we know, for all we know, if that guy hadn't made that phone call, that friend would have been dead that night. Things really hang in the balance. Uh, some of you here are considering being a part of Children's Church for the summer. 
Things matter here, okay? Just play this out for a second. You say yes to that call. You say yes to that. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm going to help out here. Fill a couple of slots. It could be the case that next week someone's going to come to church for the first time. Their marriage is a wreck. They don't know God, but they know they need something here, so they bring their kids here. Because you said yes, there's room for the children's church to take in that child. They come to the church. They hear the message. They start to get gripped by it. They fall in love with Jesus. They raise their kids in a Jesus kind of way. Then the marriage survives. In fact, it thrives. On the other hand, you say no. It could be the case they come to church and we say to them, sorry, there's no room for your kids here, which is the very worst first impression you can get. And for visitors here this morning who got that message, I, I want to apologize for that. Uh, give us another chance. Um, but uh, so they, they, they maybe, it's too much work to take care of their kids in the service, so they leave. Their marriage doesn't survive. They don't come to know Christ. Their kids aren't raised on a Christ. Things really hang in the balance on what we say yes to or what we don't say yes to. Folks, your life counts. You are important. You, God needs you. God, it, by his own sovereign design, he's, he's made a world in which he is dependent on his bride to play her role. And that's the significance, but also the responsibility of our life. So folks, when you see, look around and see the disasters and the mayhem in this, in this, in this life, this war-torn world, it won't always be like this. Uh, but don't let that at all pollute your picture of God. God's at work to bring good out of all the evil, and he's a master at doing it, and, he, and he'll win in the end, and it won't always be like this. But right now, it's a war zone. But you've got to know what side God's on, what side's God not on. Uh, when you see the, the ugliness and the pain and the nightmares, that says a lot about the fallen world. It doesn't say anything about God. What says a lot about God, what says everything about God, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So keep your eyes fixed. Keep your picture of God beautiful. And then secondly, say yes. We sang the song earlier, I Surrender All. Take your say-so, that significant say-so that you have, that, 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 that humanity that you have, and bring it under, under the, the reign of God's kingdom. Uh, he's not going to micro-control you. He doesn't want to micro-control you. He wants a full person. He wants you to bring some stuff to the table and, and you to bring your creativity. But he wants us to be living our life under the parameters of his kingdom, always open to his leading and his guiding, listening and also obeying. And now we become conduits by which his will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is no greater dignity in the world than that. Making a difference in other people's lives. That's what the kingdom is all about. Amen. Would you, would you rise? Yes, hallelujah. Uh, the prayer teams uh, are going to be up here. Uh, can I ask the prayer teams to come forward? They're by the stairs here. And if you have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, whatever the issue is, financial, relationship, whatever, please come up here and, 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 and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered disciple of Jesus, uh, I would encourage you to check that out, consider it. And so you can come up here and talk to these folks about that, and they'll be, they'd love to explain to you what is involved in, in uh, surrendering your life to Christ. As we leave here, can we do it as a people who realize the dignity and the responsibility that we have as kingdom people and as a, with a commitment to say yes to everything God leads us to, to surrender to him and live out our lives, our significant say-so under the domain of his kingdom. If that is in your heart and you want to overflow in love towards your neighbors, say amen and get out of here. Amen. God bless you guys.